Hey everyone. Um, so the first passage is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And our second reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Cool, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure what you're expecting uh, a sermon uh, called God's Mission uh, to be about. Uh, maybe you have some ideas about what passages we might be, um, you might expect in a sermon uh, on mission, uh, but if we want to truly uh, understand mission, well, we don't start with Paul, uh, you don't start with Acts, you don't start with the Great Commission. Actually, we need to start right back at Genesis because, well, actually, mission is the central theme of the story of the Bible. A big call, I know, I don't make it lightly, the Bible is rich, it's varied, it's deep. We don't want to sort of flatten it out um, and make these huge grand overgeneralizations. But if, if I had to pick one thread running from Genesis to Revelation, uh, I'm convinced that that is it, mission. Uh, and so John said, you know, Joel's, Joel's passionate about this. Um, he suggested I do a, a sermon on mission. Um, but really, I'm passionate about it because I'm convinced that God is passionate about mission. We're all to be passionate about it because that's God's heart. Uh, before we jump in, watching over Zoom can be really tiring. So if you want to stretch or wriggle, just like might be sitting down for a while um, already. So just get the jiggles out. Um, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Joel. I'm married to Amy. Uh, she's listening in, uh, she's currently crocheting on our balcony for um, our, a little blanket for our baby that we're expecting in six weeks, which is a bit scary and really exciting. Um, so today we're going to do like this bird's eye view of uh, God's mission, not jumping all over the place through the Bible, but uh, sort of uh, going from start to finish, tracking this overarching story through the Bible. Um, so we'll, Genesis to Revelation, we'll just we'll stop at a few key passages. Um, some of them will be familiar. Some of them might not be so familiar. 
Um, and obviously, there'd be so much we could gain by sort of slowing down and savoring each passage. There's lots of passages we could have talked about, uh, lots of points we could pull out. Uh, but today, we're aiming at getting this big picture of the story of the Bible, of God's mission. Um, and as mentioned before, there'll be opportunity for questions. Um, and also, if you miss anything, that's okay. So, oh, I, I didn't catch this bit. Um, yep, and I'll do my best. Uh, please pray with me. Let's pray. Magnificent God, thank you that you have acted through history. Thank you that you speak to us. Please help me now to preach your word uh, clearly and faithfully. And please help us all to concentrate, even though Zoom can be really tiring. Uh, and please help us all to, to hear you, to love you, and to please you uh, in our lives. Amen. So is mission really a, the central thread through the Bible? We're asking you, what, what's this big overarching story through the Bible? And what, we, what we'll see is the Bible is the story of God's activity to save people and his desire to save people from every corner of the globe. Uh, and God accomplishes this by doing a lot of sending. The word mission comes from the Latin to send. So, so our definition of mission is God's sending activity to save all peoples. God's sending activity to save all peoples. This is the grand story of the Bible. And when I say all peoples, plural, peoples, I mean like all people groups, all ethnic groups, all tribes and nations, people from every language, uh, like what we read uh, or what we'll see in uh, uh, another part of Revelation uh, later. Uh, also, I'm making the distinction between mission singular and missions, plural. Uh, mission is God's sending activity to save all peoples. And when, when we say missions, uh, we're talking about the church's activity, the church's response, uh, our participation in God's mission. So that's evangelism and discipleship, uh, sending missionaries overseas. So missions is our part in God's mission. Uh, and this is my hope for today. If you come away today with one thing, I'm hoping that you won't just understand the overall story of the Bible, of God's mission, but that you'd be left in awe of God's magnificent plan. Uh, I hope that you'll be in awe of what he's done, uh, awe in what he will do, and also awe of having the privilege to be a part of his mission too. I hope that you'll see that mission is actually your story and my story. Uh, it's the story of Honestly Park Christian Church. Uh, so uh, let's jump in. First up, God promises to send. So Genesis begins with God as the sovereign God, creator of all things, creator of all peoples, uh, he created people to love him, to serve him, to bless them, to dwell with them. But mankind rebels, turning away from God, sin and death enter the world. Yet even right there, back then, God takes the initiative and plans to send someone. 
This is the beginning of God's mission. Genesis 3, verse 15. So this is where God's uh, uh, talking to the snake. Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is, God plans to reverse the fall, bring people back to himself. He'll send someone to defeat sin and death and suffering, someone who will crush the head of the snake. Evil won't win. Then God sends Abraham. So in the chapters after this, there are stories of the earth filling with people, sin runs rampant, there's long lists of family trees, and people go further and further away from God's ways. And then we zoom in on the story of Abraham. God picks Abraham and sends him from his home and sends him with a promise. Now, this is the promise we read earlier. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3 says, The Lord said to Abram, who is later renamed to Abraham, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This this promise is really important. It's the start of Israel, the offspring of Abraham. Uh, God repeats this promise to Abraham a few times, uh, repeats it to his son Isaac, Isaac, uh, repeats it to Isaac's son Jacob, and there's four key, key parts of this promise. God promises that Abraham will have lots of descendants who will become a nation, that they'll have lots of land, that they'll have a land. Uh, God promises that he will bless them and protect them. And also that through them, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Uh, and so this, this, this is the beginning of Israel. This is, he promises to bless them, but not only them, but to, pro- but to bless through them all the peoples of the earth. How yet? We don't yet know, which brings us to the next point. God sends the law. Generations later, Abraham's offspring are numerous, but they're enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them. He sends them his law. They're this brand new nation. And so he says, this is what you're to Um, how you're to think about yourself as his people. This is how you're to think about the law in Exodus 19, uh, verses 5 to 6. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. This is what God is saying to Moses. He's dictating to Moses what Moses is to say to Israel. Uh, So God's saying to Israel, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel is God's uh, treasured possession. Uh, You've been working your way through Leviticus. You've 
been seeing that the law is God's gracious gift to Israel, uh, that this helps uh, God live with them and they can have the blessing of having his presence and his blessing. Um, but it's not only them that he wants to bless. Uh, note that they are to be a kingdom of priests. But wait a minute, I hear you say, isn't only Aaron and his offspring to be the priests? They're the only ones who are allowed to be priests. Well, a priest's role is to, to mediate between God uh, and Israel. So to bring God and Israel together that they can enjoy relationship uh, together. And so this is what Israel as a whole are to be for the nations. Israel is supposed to bring the nations and God together that they can know God and have relationship and blessing too. In that way, Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. How are they to bring the nations to God? Uh, so to summarise, uh, in Deuteronomy, Israel's obedience to the law gives them, uh, uh, so the law that God gives them, uh, they're to teach, um, teach any foreigners that live with them to obey the law, to know the law, they're to care for foreigners. There's this expectation that foreigners will be there and will be worshipping God too. It's interesting that uh, when Solomon builds the temple, when he prays at the opening of the temple, he prays that God would hear the foreigners who come and worship there too. So he's expecting that there'll be foreigners who come to worship God in Jerusalem as well. And then the Psalms, there's just a whole bunch of Psalms that say to Israel, declare God's praises, declare God's salvation to the nations. So the nations are to come and join Israel. That's how they're to bless the nations, by bringing people to worship God. Uh, they're supposed to live according to the law. They're supposed to have, be blessed by God. And so the nations around them are supposed to say, oh, wow, I want, I want that too. Like a big magnet, Israel was to attract the nations around them to join them, worshipping, obeying God. Then God sends prophets. Over and over again, Israel fails to live by God's laws. God judges them. He graciously tries to bring them back, only for them to keep rejecting him again. And they, so they fail to have the blessing of um, following God's law. Uh, they fail to attract the nations to them, and God sends them into exile. Yet all hope is not lost. God's sending activity, God's mission continues. He sends prophets. And through them, he sends this promise of hope. Uh, Isaiah is, this, is a key book to understanding God's mission and God's plans, not only for Israel, but God's plans for a greater kingdom, uh, his plans of hope for Gentiles too, that's bigger. So where Israel failed, in Isaiah, there's this picture of the ideal servant. So Isaiah 49, chapter 49, verse 6, uh, and this section, it's, it's like God is, God is talking to this future servant. Um, so God's talking about to this future servant. He says, Isaiah 49, 6, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. 
I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Gentiles means non-Jews. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So through Isaiah, God promises to send his servant who will bring in a much greater kingdom, which will include Gentiles, bringing salvation to all, to all ends of the earth. And there are images in Isaiah of like the nations just streaming to worship God. Then God sends his son. This brings us to Jesus. God sends his son. At the start of Jesus's ministry, you might remember in Luke, Jesus goes to the temple, he stands up, he opens the book of Isaiah and says, actually, this is about, this is about me. Jesus says he is the ideal servant mentioned in Isaiah who will be the light to Gentiles and who will bring in this greater kingdom. Uh, as you might already know or have guessed that uh, Jesus is the one who will crush uh, the serpent's head that we uh, that God promised back in Genesis 3. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he defeats the effects of the fall. Through him, sin and death are defeated for whoever believe in him. So, and, and, and even while Jesus' ministry, uh, while on earth, it was primarily amongst and with the Jews, it was always with the goal of bringing in Gentiles of this kingdom expanding and going out to non-Jews and to the ends of the earth. There are a bunch of instances where Jesus interacts with Gentiles, um, heals them, and he often comments on how great their faith is. So you might know the story of uh, the centurion whose servant is sick and dying, and he just says, um, Jesus, just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus is just like, this is faith. This is what faith looks like. Uh, and then when the Samaritan woman, so you might know the story in John 4 of where Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at the well, she essentially says, well, you Jews, you say you have to come to Jerusalem to worship God. And we say you have to go worship God over there, actually. But Jesus replies, actually, very soon, you won't have to come to Jerusalem to worship God at all. Uh, you won't have to be anywhere to worship God you can worship God anywhere you won't need to be an Israel Israelite close to the temple you just need to worship in spirit that by his spirit will be able to have God's presence and worship him so that's a key a key part of uh, God's mission is ah it's not going to be in Jerusalem it'll be by his spirit everywhere And then Jesus sends us. After Jesus' uh, resurrection, Jesus sends his disciples. Uh, and he sends us to go. We'll look at the one at the end of Matthew. So Matthew 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus says, um, says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything 
I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a key development in the story of God's mission. Now with Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' work is now complete. His people are to go out, to go out, not to bring people into Israel, but to go out. There's no centre. Jesus' disciples are to go out and make more disciples until he returns again, which he hasn't done yet. So Jesus sends us. This command is for you and me. So while Israel was to call the nations in, now the church is to go out and declare God's salvation, the salvation that Jesus has available in Jesus by his death and resurrection. Just It simply requires faith in Jesus. We're to declare that reconciliation with God is available, inclusion in his kingdom, adoption in, in his family. That's available to all, to all peoples of the earth, in the deepest jungles of the Amazon, in the biggest cities, um, uh, in Russia or Europe, uh, to the tribes in Niger or Vanuatu or wherever you might pick, the, all people are to know the salvation that's available in Jesus. So Jesus sends us, but also Jesus sends his spirit. Uh, when we get to Acts, uh, to the book of Acts, it starts with Jesus saying, actually, the gospel, it'll start in Jerusalem, it'll go out to Samaria, and then it will go to the ends of the earth. And then after that, the promised Holy Spirit arrives, and then the rest of the book of Acts is, a pitch, is, is the story of that happening, starting in Jerusalem, going out to Samaria and Antioch, and then it goes to, like, to all these other churches like Ephesus and Napoli and other churches too. It's a story of God's kingdom, of Jesus building his church. So what about, what about Israel now? In Galatians 3, Paul writes that there's actually, there's no longer any difference between Jew and Gentile because we're all one in Jesus. Actually, it's by faith that you become part of God's people, not by becoming a Jew. And we have a new identity as God's people, his church. So a key passage is First uh, Peter 2, 6. First uh, Peter is a great book on God's mission. Uh, it's written to a persecuted uh, church that is trying to live for Jesus and share his gospel. Uh, so First Peter 2, 6 reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I hope that this sounds familiar. It's, uh, it links back to Israel's identity. It links back to what we read in um, Exodus. Uh, before it was Israel, but now it's us who are God's special possession. It's us who are priests where to declare his praises to the world. Uh, so you, each, each week you've been doing this being church. Uh, it seems like next week you're having this sermon on, on the church again. And here is, here is a key reason for the church, to declare God's praises, to be his people, to bring more people into his kingdom. So Jesus sends us, 
and his spirit with us. This is the Bayesian for missions. Jesus sends us and he sends us his spirit. And so that's the basis for missions, for the church's work in evangelism, discipleship, sending people overseas to reach unreached people group, groups. Missions is our part in the big story of God's mission. That's, that's where we are now. But there will be a point where God won't send again. We've zoomed through the Old Testament and then through to the New Testament right up to where we are now. Uh, We're sent by God. We're sent with his spirit. But to fully understand the scope of God's mission, God's pulled back the curtain and shown us the end of the story. In John's vision of heaven, this is Revelation 7, verse 9, in John's vision of heaven, uh, he writes this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried, cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The book of Revelation is a book of hope, a book of hope for the persecuted church. It's a book that says actually God wins despite oppositions and setbacks from the outside, despite maybe disunity in the church, God will bring his people to a new creation into his new kingdom. And Revelation finishes with this picture of this new creation. So uh, Revelation 21, we read a section from that earlier. Uh, God's story finishes with this picture of a new creation where God will once again be with his people, uh, where people will enjoy him, will worship him truly, will enjoy his creation, sin, death, suffering, pain. They will no longer exist. And this new creation, uh, here it's called a new Jerusalem. In a sense, it's like we've finally been gathered back together again Israel was called to bring the nations in. Jesus comes, uh, he dies, he rises again, he sends us, he sends us his spirit. We're to go out and reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. And then at the end of the story, it's like we're all gathered back into a new Jerusalem. And so the point of mission is actually for mission to no longer exist. Mission exists for a greater purpose, which is the worship of God. The goal of mission is worship of God. Mission wasn't needed in the garden. Mission won't be needed in the new creation. Mission is the story of the Bible, of everything in between. Of Mission is God's sending activity to save all peoples, that people be reconciled to him and brought into his new kingdom to enjoy him, to worship him. So where does that leave us? Uh, Well, we need to, I think it's really important to remember that it's it's God's mission. From start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, it's God's mission. He's the one that's done it. He's started it. He will bring it to completion. So this has a lot of implications for us. Here's, Here's a few. So it's God's mission, be in awe. 
I said at the start that if we got one thing out of our sort of zoom through the Bible, um, it's that we'd be in awe of God's mission. The fact that you or I have heard of Jesus, heard his story, put our faith in him, uh, that's the result of God's mission, um, of his people taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I, I wonder what it would be like to trace back, uh, you know, who I heard the gospel from, who they heard the gospel from, who ha- they heard the gospel from, all the way back, so on and so forth, all the way back to Jesus' first disciples. Like, I wonder how many people would be in that chain, and that chain's not, not broken. My faith, your faith, is the result of God's continued sending activity, sending his people who are faithful to his mission. That's something to be in awe of, to praise God for. He's sustaining, he's building his church through you. God's mission is your story. So it's God's mission, be in awe, and it's God's mission, trust him. Trust him, it can't fail. God started mission back in Genesis. It's his initiative. He'll finish it. We know the end of the story in Revelation. The success of God's mission doesn't depend on us. Phew. It's only achieved in God's power, in by his spirit. We know where this will end, that beautiful picture of all peoples worshipping God in the new creation, and it can't fail. Evil won't win. God will. So we can trust him to complete it. And so even in the midst of suffering and hardship, even when churches fail or when laws change to make being a Christian difficult, when we hear stories of Christians being put in prison overseas or churches being burnt down, remember, God's mission can't fail. So this leads us to the next point. It's God's mission. Be part of it. If it's God's mission and he will complete it, well, then we can confidently take part. The outcome's guaranteed. The way God chooses to save people is through sending his people. He not only commands us to go, but he invites us to be a part of it. In local evangelism here in Sydney or overseas cross-cultural mission, it's God's mission. He will complete it. And so he invites us to be a part of it. This command is not this sort of heavy, guilt-inducing striving. It might be, yeah, like it might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. It might be costly. It might be costly to spend time regularly praying for the world. It might be costly to talk to your friend about Jesus and be really uncomfortable and who knows how that might go. It is costly to send money to overseas missions. It's costly to spend years or a lifetime overseas sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth might be costly but it's a privilege to be a part of god's great life-saving plans what better way to spend our time and money and resources and he'll do it so we can have confidence to take part but there's still a long way to go there are three billion people amongst 7,400 different people groups who are considered unreached with the gospel. What this means that there, amongst these 3 billion people, there are few, if any, if any Christians amongst them. 
most of them don't know Jesus, not by choice, but because they haven't heard the gospel. Uh, most would personally not know a Christian. Uh, they wouldn't be able to find a church, uh, even, if they, even if they wanted to. There are three billion who are lost and unreached. I, I mean, I can't actually imagine three billion people or 7,400 people groups, and there'd be thousands of languages amongst them. There really is so much work still to be done before this picture of revelation is complete. Remember, God will do it, but as God's people, he asks us, he invites us to be a part of his mission, to send people to share the gospel with them that they might be saved. So he wants us to be involved in his mission, yes, here in Australia, but not only here in Australia, but to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Creator God, saving God, we thank you that you have included us in your grand story of reconciling to yourself the nations. It's a joy and an honour that we, we don't deserve to be adopted as your sons and daughters, to be in your kingdom. It's a privilege to be sent by you to share the gospel with others. We look forward to the day that we worship you with people from every nation, tribe, people and language. Until then, would you send workers into your harvest field for the harvest is plentiful and your workers are few. Would you grow in us an awe for your mission? Would you grow in us a desire to be a part of what you're doing? Grow your kingdom, we pray. We thank you that it's your mission. Amen. All right. Uh, so now it's time for the Q&A. Uh, so we'll get Joel back in. And, uh, yeah, we've got quite a number of questions already um, and should be quite interesting as it does uh, apply to, I guess, a lot of practical um, things for Christians. And uh, I think the questions will start from the bottom. Uh, the new ones are at the top. So we'll start from the bottom. So the first question is, if not everyone is saved, does that mean God kind of failed in his mission or did he not mean to save everyone? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. That is a hard, <laughs> kind of naughty question. Uh, but it's, I, I think it's one we all feel and think. Um, uh, I I don't think there's a neat answer to this, mostly because I'm not God. So, so, so no, I don't think he failed. Um, I, God, God's plans won't fail. We see this, this great picture in Revelation, but why aren't all people saved? Does that, like in one sense, it almost feels, like I think it sometimes feels unfair that some are saved and some aren't. Um, the reasons why that is, I, I don't think the Bible gives us a clear, there's, there's, no, um, there's no explanation for why some people are saved or not. There's, um, 
there's sort of hints of predestination and election and God choosing some people, but we never, there's never an explanation for why. Um, there's some tough passages in Romans about clay and God kind of doing with, with people what he, what glorifies him and what he wants. But um, there's some things we can know, which is um, salvation is through Jesus alone. We know that anyone who proclaims Jesus as Lord will be saved, that anyone who knocks and looks for God, like who, who looks, will find him. Um, this is probably speculation on my part, uh, but I, I wonder if part of the reason why we don't know why some people are saved and some are not is to, so that we can't be proud. So you can't, like if, if, if you, like for some reason God, God has gracious, graciously chosen us and there's that um, in one sense it's almost unfair that he chooses anyone, like no one deserves salvation. Uh, actually, that the fact that you or I have put our faith in Jesus is unfair and beautiful and a gracious gift. Um, yeah, there's lots more that could be said, but I... I um, I feel like that's that's probably where I'm at. God's God's plan hasn't failed. Actually, it's still happening as He wants. Fair enough. No, it's a difficult question, but I think you did well. Yeah, it's a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, next one. This is probably a bit more um, generic. So, what types of things count as mission? Mm, um, I think the core, the thing about that differentiates mission from, say, humanitarian work is that mission requires the proclamation of Jesus' love, of the, of the gospel. So um, digging wells in Niger in the desert of communities there, running a medical clinic in Paraguay, uh, providing food and shelter for the homeless in Australia are good things. Jesus commands us to love our neighbours. Um, to, to love and provide for others. That pleases and honours God, but by itself is not mission. Mission is, um, is that Jesus, is, the gospel of Jesus, the salvation available in him is, um, is, is shared as well. Um, so as Christians, we're to, to share Christ's love both in, in word and deed, in what we say and what we do. So one without the other feels um, like just proclaiming without word is maybe not credible, but just doing good, share, uh, doing good for people without telling them that um, the gospel of Jesus is not is not mission uh, either. That's just doing good. Okay. Is that clear? Yeah. That kind of- well, hopefully that clears it up for the the question asker. <laughs> so. Um- Next one. What are your thoughts on parachurch ministries having a model where new Christians are pushed to evangelize? Is there a point where we need to grow as a Christian first before we share the gospel? Great question. Yeah, very good question. Um, uh, what are my thoughts on this? Uh, my experience has mostly been with, um, uh, well, some evangelism on campuses while I was at uni, but um but probably the majority of my um, 
experience has been thinking, think, thinking through this question about Muslim outreach, uh, and particularly if you're, um, if um, a Muslim comes to to Christ, um, when it becomes known amongst their community, they can be really heavily ostracised. They might be kicked out of home. They might there might be a lot of suffering that um, that they encounter. That I you know I can't I can't imagine what it would be like to live through some of that stuff, but. Um, um, so, so what what is the role of the a parachurch organisation? Should they, you know, encourage and force um, those people to to share early? Uh, I think I think we need to be careful of sort of this blanket thing that if it works somewhere, it works somewhere else. Um, uh, there's they talk about like discovery Bible study stuff in India. I think particularly where a lot of this comes out of, uh, and there's. Um, there's some real good in like when when people first encounter Jesus. Sometimes like, oh look what I've found, and it's it's great when they want to share that with others. There's this enthusiasm that um, that is really healthy and great for the gospel spread. Uh, but I don't know if in all instances that's a good thing. So I think for Muslim ministry, um, you want to talk that through with people. So I don't I don't think it should be a blanket. In my opinion, it should be a blanket rule for all parachurch ministries to, to do that. Um because there's a whole lot of other factors that um that come into play. I think particularly for an, a Muslim so so I'm thinking of one of my friends in from my time in Niger. Um I think it took a took a long time. I, I don't know who he's told he's a Christian. He's obviously told a bunch of people, but I don't know everything but um if very early on they tell their friends and family that they've chosen to follow christ um, there can be such opposition that um forces them that 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 they they fall away that they throw in the hat it's too hard to keep following jesus and that would that's a real pity um anyway <laughs> it requires wisdom i think yeah for sure definitely um, all right. Um, next one. You got overall most Christians they don't go overseas or um, go have cross cultural barriers or there are cross cultural barriers to go as missionaries. Uh, do you think this should change and how realistic is it for that to happen? Mm. Oops, sorry, my stand's falling down. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, n- most Christians don't go overseas or cross-cultural barriers. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's there's lots of different ways to sort of approach this. I think if most Christians don't go overseas, not everybody can go overseas, that doesn't, then there'd be no Christians in Australia and there'd be no money or there'd be, like, there'd be no support for the people going overseas. So obviously not everyone can go. I think there's definitely more space for people to go and better support, so more sending of Christians, I think, is a great goal for the church, for, for Christians in general. When I say the church, I'm meaning like all the all the churches around the world. We could be um, we could dwell more on God's mission, like the story we've just sort of traced very fast, and that would I think should and would fuel more sending of cross cultural missions. 
Um, uh, but you don't, to be involved in God's mission, you don't have to go yourself. There are lots of ways mm. to, um, to be involved in mission without going. Um, uh, the, um, the silly acronym Amy and I made, made up for our, um, uh, we're involved in a missions conference, Reach Out, um, uh, which is uh, which, which is online this year. But um, the little silly acronym we came up with is PIMEGS. So if you want to be involved in um, mission, PIMEGS, you can be praying, you can inform yourself um, about mission, you can mobilise other people to be involved in mission, you can encourage missionaries, you can give to um to missionaries you could consider going and i think not enough people consider going um because the sacrifices can be really big uh, and also you can support missionaries so there's more ways to be involved in mission than just going but i think we need to be willing to go yeah fair enough and i think it's important that uh, yeah people know that they can there's multiple ways to um, assist people who are on mission as well. So that's a good uh, acronym there. Um, and last question, it seems, uh, why did God send so many people? Why not just send Jesus? Yeah. Yep. It's a good question. I um, like in a sense, there's, yeah, I, I, I feel that question too. Uh, in one sense, I ask like, oh, well, there was a garden, Adam and Eve sinned. God says he's going to send someone to crush a serpent's head. He's going to solve it. Why wait this whole long, this big long time um, until, uh, until he sends Jesus to, um, to solve it? Uh, I don't, I'm sure something will come to me afterwards, but I think the short answer is I don't really know. Um, there's, there's lots we learn about God um, through the Old Testament. Uh, like I, I can I can do lots of little bits of speculation probably and go and think oh like there's in one sense there's this like perfect religion that kind of 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 obeying rules and staying clean and kind of trying to get rid of sin with all these sacrifices but ultimately that that doesn't work that doesn't change people's hearts that doesn't um, attract people um, to the gospel. Uh, to worshiping God, like in a sense, there's this example of like the perfect religion that is actually insufficient. Um, I don't, I don't think that's the full answer. Uh, at this stage, I don't have a full answer, um, but I'm not God. Uh, I can sort of shelve that one and keep pulling it off off the shelf of my mind and sort of have a rifle through and think about it some more. But in short, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's another tough question like the first one. Yeah, so, it's a good one, though. Yeah, um, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it in terms of order messages. I don't think there's anything on uh, Zoom, uh, and that's I think that's the final question. So thanks for your time once again, Joel. Um, All right. Thanks yeah, for having me.